Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians 5, I'll be reading verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, eternal, wonderful, life-giving Word to our souls. And so, Father, I ask that we experience this morning, right now, and as Your Word is opened, that we experience this command to be filled with Your Holy Spirit. And so to that end, I'm desperate as a pastor and as a teacher to be filled. So help me, fill me to deal accurately with your word applied to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remember the context. Paul has been laying out how those who are believers in Christ are to live their lives. Not living as unbelievers live. Not as the world lives. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But instead, he has said, live your lives in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, walking according to His moral commandments. That's the Christian life. And no wonder there's the old saying, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. That's why Jesus said in John 15, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And He said that in the midst of those chapters, that large section where He was continually promising to go away and to send the Holy Spirit as the help. This is how he said it in John 14, verses 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, a paraclete, to be with you forever. Even, in other words, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And so to walk according to the way that Paul is instructing all believers to walk, to walk wisely, redeeming the time in this present evil world. How? By understanding what the will of the Lord is. Why? So that we will walk in repentance, in righteousness, and not walk in living sinful lifestyles. Paul now lets us know, for that To be obeyed, to be happening, we must be filled with 
the Holy Spirit. We must be experiencing God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who is affecting our hearts, our emotions, our thoughts, our desires. So that's my focus this morning. Verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I am one. Numbers of you also have had significant experiences in the context of a cultural slash religious phenomena called Pentecostalism or the Charismatic Movement. So I just want to make just a couple comments. I don't want to get deeply into arguing, but give you some of my conclusions. I, I do that elsewhere, and I may do it again sometime, but time's not going to permit. Pentecostalism is a present-day movement. It's very new, about 115 years old. And then later, in the 1960s and 70s, it, this same dynamic hit denominationalism, even Roman Catholicism, where the charismatic movement came about. Speaking in tongues was one of the main core manifestations. And the doctrine went this way, and here's why I'm going to say it. I think for many an experience was real, it was good for many, but they called it the wrong thing. They called it being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which they meant it is a second blessing. The first is to be saved, to be born again, to be thus indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But they saw that, in their opinion, many people, there's a biblical second blessing that comes after new birth that you should get, you should seek. And in early Pentecostalism, the way you know you got it is because you have the evidence. The, that's a definite article, the manifestation of speaking in unknown tongues, like in Acts and in 1 Corinthians. And so, there are real Christians who are born again and never get baptized in the Holy Spirit and die and go to heaven. And then there are Christians who do, and they have the second blessing, and they're a spiritual notch up above because they're baptized with that one time, second blessing, after new birth, baptized in the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay. I think theologically they're wrong, I don't think baptism in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament refers to a second blessing subsequent to new birth. But, there's another term in the New Testament, like we have this morning and elsewhere. Being filled with the Spirit again and again. Being influenced by the Holy Spirit as a Christian is to be an ongoing pursuit of the Christian life. To be sought after continually, day by day, week by week, and ongoingly. So within those movements, and I'm one of them, I think for many, not all, all kinds of people would speak in whatever was called tongues and die and go to hell, weren't even born again. Very possible. But what was happening for many people who Jesus loved and He saved was a dynamic experience. It was different than what they experienced before. And it should have called it merely what it was. The filling of the Holy Spirit. Look down at verse 18 of our text, Ephesians 5. Paul writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It leads to excessive and indulgence in sensual pleasures. 
whether in sexuality or the pleasure of drunkenness itself. It just, it just leads that way. D- don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so here's an analogy. He says, watch a person fill up on a whole bottle of wine in about a half now hour and give him an hour and a half and or three or four I don't know I would probably be falling down if I took one shot of whiskey but, but three or four shots of whiskey or 12 beers in in an hour and a half and watch they have clearly changed they have now come under the influence of alcohol they're, they're being moved and controlled by it. And so Paul says, don't do that. But instead, drink the intoxicating drink of the Holy Spirit. Fill up. Now the thing about it when he commands it, it's a passive voice verb. In other words, You're not doing the action. Someone else is doing the action. You are receiving the action of being filled. But he says, do this. So it's kind of like, okay, position yourself. Seek after. Desire it. Constantly walk in a way so that you will be poured into. God does it. Luke uses this term. He reused it of Jesus in his gospel. And referring to him, he says, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts, Luke, when, okay, you, oh, we can't deal with the tables, pick among yourselves seven men who are of good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit. And then later, one of those seven was Stephen, who became a dynamic preacher. And Luke referred to him as full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then later, Luke refers to Barnabas as a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So just briefly then, go back. Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement. That's how I see it. For, for all those persons who had Pentecostal, charismatic movement experiences, and over their life the fruit bore out as if they belonged to Jesus. For those who, though they know experientially, they found a, a, a new a dynamic passion for Jesus that they didn't have before an initial kind of an experience. I don't think they were baptized in the Holy Spirit as a second blessing. I think either one of two things happened. Because in the context of these movements, for many even churchgoers in in high liturgical churches, or even low churches like this, or Baptist churches. I, yeah, I like Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I don't want to, to go there. What they would hear in the, these kinds of meetings was a type of passion they were unused to. And a type of preaching that, that, that they gave rise to something within them. And so I think one of two things was happening to people. One is, many of these church members professing Christians, many for years, they got saved. They weren't born again before. They did not know the Lord Jesus really. They knew a religion. They walked an aisle. They said a prayer. They got their ticket to heaven. They weren't Christians. And now they're on fire. And then there are others who were Christians. And they loved Jesus. And there's something about the movement. They went to a meeting and went to meetings and then they finally switched churches. Just, they're on fire for Jesus. They 
through God's sovereignty, the sovereignty of the kind of preaching, kind of music, or anything else, what was happening is they were being filled with the Spirit in a way that hadn't experienced in years. But it's not a second blessing. That's a misnomer. It's not something distinct to be sought after. I'm done with that now. Set it aside. I guess. Let's go to the text. What, what, what's going on here? So if you're in chapter 5, I'm going to start with verse 15. Get the flow. Paul exhorts us, look carefully, then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. How? Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay. So what does that mean then? Okay, let's go. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to come more and more under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Like one would come under the influence of alcohol. It means to come more and more under the sway of God the Holy Spirit more than the influence of your flesh. Sinful desires that are in you, in me. In other words, or if we really break it down, this is at the core of what I think. You want to get to the core of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be filled with joy. With joy in God, joy in Jesus Christ, in the gospel that saves you. The Apostle Peter, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 1 for a moment. I mean, he assumed that that right there, that joy in Jesus, I love him. He assumed that is the Christian life. Now, as we read this, yeah, yeah, oh, there are ups and they're down. There are levels of joy, and they go high and they go low, and they come back up to me. That's it. But if the seed, which will turn into a tree, one day. But if there's not even a seed of joy in Christ, in the heart of a person. And like right now, if they're listening to me, I have no idea. What do you mean Christ? It's great, I want to be saved. But what do you mean joy when you talk about the incarnation, substitutionary atonement, the resurrection of Christ for the salvation of a wretched, disgusting, hell-bound sinner like what do you talk? Then, if they're like that, they're probably not born again. He says in verse eight, Christians, though you have not seen Jesus like Peter did, he lived with him in the flesh and saw him in his resurrection. You have it and I have it. And neither did they. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and it's filled with glory. That's the Spirit's work. 
And the more one is experiencing that, the fuller he or she is. That joy here doesn't mean, okay, we got to come to church next week and put a plastic smile on my face as if I'm happy. That's not what he's talking about. It is referring to a deep, down, penetrating joy in the midst of life and all of its stuff. He has just affirmed God will make sure because He loves you that you will be refined with pain. You will grieve over stuff. He's doing something to your faith. That's the context. He says, but in the midst of all of that, yeah, you cry. Yeah, you wrestle. Yeah, you struggle. But deep down, you love Him. You don't see Him. You know you're going to see Him. But you believe in Him and you rejoice with a kind of joy that you can't put words to. That's what he's referring to. Not a giddiness. And this is what we are desperate as believers to experience more and more of. As we are more and more overcome by our sin and our flesh, we need to repent, we need to turn. That's what we need, really, in order for that to happen. And so, what is it? It's joy. It's joy in the cross of Jesus Christ. In the person of our resurrected King. It's joy. How do you get it? Only one way. By the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's who God is. He is the Holy Trinity. We must grasp the connection of be filled with the Spirit and how that connects to who the one triune God is by nature. We must the Holy Spirit who is God. The third person. He is the personification of the love that the Father has for the perfections of the divine being in His Son. He is the perfection of the eternal bliss and happiness that He is always as He reflects in the image of His divine character in the Son. He is the essence of the joy that the Father eternally has in the Son. And that the eternal Son has in the Father. That community of inexpressible fullness and joy is personified in God, the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the only true, not contrived, but the only true joy in God that any of us can or ever will have will come from outside of us. In the person of the Holy Spirit. 
who is the personification of happiness, joy, contentment, truth in God. That's the joy Peter's talking about. The drunk can sit at the bar and order four shots of whiskey. The only way he's going to get what he's seeking is the temporal feeling of idolatrous joy is going to happen from outside of him. If he lets the shot glasses just sit, he won't get it. He has to take them in and drink them. And so Paul says, drink. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that joy of the Holy Spirit's filling in every genuine Christian life is wavering in this life. It's imperfect. It has ups. It has downs. Sometimes we're more filled than at other times and less filled than at other times when we were more filled. And that's where the Christian life is. That's where the Christian battle is. That's the battle to walk by faith. The battle to walk by the Holy Spirit. Where we see the fruit. Come out. Paul said it this way in Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may have hope. That's the Christian walk. That's the daily pursuit. He said it this way in Romans 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. That's great. You can eat that. Your brother has a problem with that. Let it be. This is not the center of Christianity. Love one another in it. This is not what the kingdom of God is. But at its core, the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul tells us in verse 18, today, 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 be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's read again, just slowly, fuller context again. Start with verse 15. Look, Christian, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a unit. Notice first again, 
contrasting being filled with the Holy Spirit with drunkenness. But Paul says in the text, don't do that. Don't go that way. It's very dangerous. Why is it dangerous in the context? Because of what he just said at the end of verse 16. Because the days are evil. In other words, this life, this age, Christian, is filled with pain and heartache and sickness and tragedy and unbelief and our own sinful nature, the flesh. Sin is constantly beckoning at our, well, I don't want to say door, not door, from the inside, beckoning, follow me. And so Paul says, if you think that your ongoing answer to that problem is drunkenness with alcohol, that's, that's, that's going to solve it, then you are deceived. But now follow the logic here of what he does. Verse 16, because the days are evil, therefore, verses 17 and 18. Okay, therefore what? The days are evil, therefore, don't be drunk with wine, but therefore be continually being filled with the Spirit. Being drunk under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, the personification of the love of God. I, well, I, I can't just keep sticking with me, John MacArthur's message on that last one. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Impossible. Unless he was indwelt by the Spirit. Impossible. Unless the very love that God eternally has for himself as the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father personified in the Holy Spirit. Unless that Spirit dwelt within Peter then. Or you. Or me. This is Paul's illustration here. Pitting up what being a drunk, filling up with enough alcohol to be drunk up against the work of the Spirit. And I think in that age, in our age, we just use our own language, how many millions upon millions of people are so dissatisfied in their marriage? Or their singleness, their work. Can't wait for the bell to ring and come out of the mines. And before I go home, I'm going to spend two hours at the bar. Because they're overcome with the problem of existence, of setbacks, with boredom. Confusion, pain, the overwhelming sense of purposelessness. And so they go to the bar in order to become influenced by spirits. Right? Isn't that what we call it, right? You can buy your spirits here at the liquor store. See, by the, when they walk in, they have no song. They can't sing. After five shot glasses, four nice big glasses of wine, twelve beers, Billy Joel is in the piano. They can sing and they'll sing because the alcohol has caused the burdens for a time to roll off their back. And they'll sing. But Paul says, Christian, that's not the answer. Don't do that. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will sing. Every one of you 
we'll see. I got to say, it was nice to come in here this morning and to feel free to put my arms in the air. Because we were at Grace Community. Okay. Once in a while you see one stick up. But okay, it's all right. But I'm going to tell you something. Every one of those brothers who, who held to that policy, many of us didn't, but you know, respectful. But they sing. Because God the Holy Spirit dwells within them. You're going to want to sing because you're filled with the joy of God in Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit. Your joy level's going up. Oh, how I love Jesus. Wait, wait, okay, Peter. Wait. You don't see Him, but you love Him. Yeah. Well, you sing. Well, no. Are you sure you love Jesus? If it bothers close your eyes. Then. You have to look around at people then. That's, that's a simple enough song. Can you sing it? And to the extent your joy goes up, It would be really hard to sing Amazing Grace in a monotone way. You can sing it out of tune like me all the time, but monotone, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, save the wretch like... It would be really hard if your joy is in Jesus at that moment. So, So notice now, look down at the text again. I want you to notice, in this text, in the way Paul writes it, there are three manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're right there. Number one is singing with a joyful heart to God. Number two is being filled with a thankful heart to God. And number three is submitting to one another in the various hierarchical relationships that he will lay out. All three of those are participles in the Greek. They're coming off of the main verb, the imperative. Be filled singing. Be filled giving thanks. Be filled submitting. And so first, you will want to sing. Even if you're like me and you're one of the worst singers on planet Earth, you'll want to sing, and if you don't want to stand in front of me, you should move. Amen. Yes. That's why you sit in the back. All right. And so that's why being in the company of believers in a small living room, or like this week with pastors and elders, 5,000 from every state in the United States and numerous other countries singing together. Or 42 on Sunday morning in the local church. Believers want to sing. And that's why it's such a blessing that all over the Scripture we're commanded to sing. And so how we come to church makes a difference to the level of our joy as we begin. Is the deer pants for the water brook, David writes, so my soul pants for you. A deer is really thirsty and it's hot out and the deer knows that I know where the brook is. It's still a mile away. But he's moving. Or, before he came to church, he could have made sure he got to the brook. And alone with God drinking. That he's more filled by the time he gets here. Saves a lot of time. But either way, either way, 
As the music starts, I'm drinking. Or sometimes I'm not drinking. Sometimes my mind is scattered and I'm praying as the songs go, hey, help me, Father. Help my scattered mind focus on the theology we're singing. On the Scripture we're singing. Either way, that desire and movement, that's worship. That's moving toward obedience. Be filled with the Spirit. But don't have this attitude. Well, you know, I don't feel very joyful in God. I know the music's playing. I know I'm in church, but there's no joy right now. If I had joy, I would sing joy. I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, that's like the guy sitting at the bar who says, I'm not going to drink until I'm drunk. Drink of the means of the Spirit called melody to help you sing with your heart to God. When you're walking through life in the middle of the week and you're just so overcome with a hardness of heart and you snap your wife and kids, your family. You're angry. You're eaten up at it. You know that you keep feeding into it. And you know it's sinful. You hear Paul be filled with the Spirit. You go. You go to the Gospel. You, you go. go. There's not, okay, Pedro, I ran into Pedro. He asked me, said, did you learn anything new this week? Well, actually, I guess there were a couple new things. But I said, if there was nothing new, you have... You see... I need the gospel constantly preached to me. I wasn't looking for anything new because I know everything. No, it's a joke. It's not that. Christians, say it, brother. I, you, I never heard how you say it. Say it to me. Let me see if you see that text like I do. Preach it to me. Your life, your experience is going to come out of that. I'm going to hear another angle. It's not like new, it's the gospel. And so when you're alone in a week, go to the text. Go to the Gospel. Whatever you need, God, I've sinned. Forgive me, First John 1, 9. Hey, but Father, I don't want to leave this couch or this chair or my car. Help me soften my heart. Fill me with the Spirit. And you may even sing. Lo. So that's the first effect of being filled with the Spirit. The second effect is what we see Paul say in verse 20. Again, it's coming directly off of be filled and then the participle coming off of that. Meaning be filled and it's resulting in this. As you do, the filled foyer, it results in giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not merely giving thanks in the midst of all things. He could have said that with the preposition in, meaning in, but he didn't. It's giving thanks for all things with the preposition who pair. To be filled with the Holy Spirit According to this text, it aims at destroying bitterness and anger and hardness toward God. Destroying our sinful anger. How could my marriage go this way? Or, I'm 42, I always wanted to be married, and I'm not. How could my children go astray? How could my body break down? The older we get, we know this one. Why do I forget so many things? Or, how come I have to wrestle with chemical imbalance. He doesn't. I mean, God, if you're God, why did my child get taken? 
How did my life turn this way and not that? If you are God. Don't say you've never felt that. To be filled with the Spirit means to have the Holy Spirit fill your heart ultimately with the ability to know that Romans 8.28 is true. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God for those who are called according to His purpose. So Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it snaps the neck of our arrogance and our ingratitude for the gift of Jesus Christ. And then there's the third effect. It's at the very end of the text, verse 21. The main verb, be filled with the Spirit. First effect, singing. Second, giving thanks. Third, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he now, after that, I think we're going to come back to this passage just so you know. But I think after, I mean, after that, he goes on to unfold the submitting. Wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters, employees to employers. Paul says, though, here, the power to submit in these differing relationships is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Be filled, submitting. So, now the question is this. Okay, help me. Even more practically, you got to give, what do we do now? What do you do? Okay. How do we go about obeying the command? How do we go about being filled? Don't get drunk with wine, but be drunk and drink of the Holy Spirit. And Paul likes this analogy. He said it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks. Slaves and free. Now listen to him. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So how do we drink of the Spirit? Let me start step by step. Romans 8.5 Paul says your mind your thoughts are crucial to being filled with the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit turn off their minds and cause it to be empty with a mantra. That's not it. No, no, no. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Okay, so here, to drink of the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, Paul says, your mind needs to be set on the things of the Spirit. The Christian mind is active. 
constantly drawing conclusions from premises. It's constantly following the thoughts of the gospel. It draws conclusions about life, about what it should think, how it should feel, how it should do this, how it should walk here. And it's based upon what it's reading, what it's hearing. And it's using logic badly. Don't want to go that way. Or you're using it well. Now next, Paul writes this in Colossians 3, 1-2. Christian, if then you have been raised with Christ, okay, here's the command now, seek, go look for, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. Okay. He doesn't mean, go look at the moon at night. Because it's above. Or an airplane flying over. How are you going to set your thoughts, your mind, on things above, heavenly things, things where the eternal God who became a human being, wait a minute, okay, all of a sudden your mind's working. What does that mean? And it just goes all the way through who suffered and died as a substitute for you. Where God Almighty's wrath was poured out and killed Him. Satisfied justice to forgive you and to give you the Spirit because He has been raised from the dead and He ascended to sin. How do you know any of that? One way. The Gospel that was preached. So your mind to be set on above is engaged in the truth of the gospel that is preached. You seek by thinking about the things of the Spirit. Okay, now what do you mean the things of the Spirit? Does that mean to go off like the Buddha did and sit under Sifrowitz tree he sat under and See what kind of uh, happy thoughts just come to your head? There are many Christians that do this. Uh, okay, I'm going to steal the illustration, Bob, that we heard this week. Because I would always ask, is, what is this? Do, do we engage our intellect and our mind with thinking? Or do we just open up to the Spirit? I would usually answer yes. But here's the illustration. You're 35,000 feet up above. And you got, open up to the work of the Holy Spirit who is real and other than you to work in you. He's the right wing on that airliner. But on the left wing, that includes theology that is in Scripture and your mind must engage. Which one are you going to choose to rip off? The plane at 35,000 feet. Neither. You miss it. You're dead. You don't sit with an empty mind. I don't want sentences in my head. I don't want propositional theology from Paul or Jesus or Moses. I just want to have a vacuum up here and see what the Spirit fills. That's not Christianity. That's dangerous. That's not what he means about set your mind on the things of the Spirit. But instead, I want to point you to 1 Corinthians 1. Paul lets us know what he means very clearly here. 
First Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 14. He writes, The natural person, and that's Paul's way of saying, the non-Christian, a person who has not been born again by the Holy Spirit, the natural person does not accept, doesn't welcome the things of the Spirit of God. Because to the natural person, the unregenerate person, the person without the Holy Spirit, the things of the Spirit of God are foolish to him. And he is not able to grasp them, to get them, to really understand them, because they are spiritually discerned by Christians, by the Spirit dwelling within them. They hear the truth like the natural person. I hear it, and it's foolish. How is it foolish to you? This is the greatest news possible. Christ crucified. That's the work of the Spirit. Those are the things of the Spirit. So so you put all that together. We're supposed to drink of the Spirit, Paul says. How? By using your mind. By setting your thoughts on the things of the Holy Spirit. What are the things of the Holy Spirit? Paul says the natural mind of another human being who is not born again rejects those things. So what are the things that they reject? That we as believers are to be drinking and accepting in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's crystal clear in 1 Corinthians 2 that the things of the Spirit here are the teachings of God and of the Gospel that come through Paul and the other apostles. See, what he says in the context right before it is, What God has given us concerning the understanding of the Christ event, we impart in words. We preach it in your known language. We impart in words. Yes, they were taught to us, apostles, by the Spirit. And then we tell you and we write it down. Those are the things of the Spirit. Now, one more. I want you to notice a parallel passage to our passage in Ephesians 5. Because Paul is writing these two letters essentially at the same time and sending them off with the same mail carrier. And that's the book of Colossians. So, in 5.18, be filled with the Spirit I want you to notice in Colossians 3.16, he almost exactly what he says in our passage. Okay? He says, do this, and then what? Singing to one another, giving thanks to God, and submitting in these various relationships. Except the one difference is this. In our passage... The main verb that produces those three things in both passages, the main verb is be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, he means the same thing at its core, but he says it differently. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
So if you're born again, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. He has given you a spiritual mind. That is by the Spirit that what your mind operating correctly in reading and hearing and thinking that causes your heart to embrace, to love the Christ of Scriptures. And so, we're called to go to the tavern, to the bar, to be filled with the Spirit constantly by listening to preaching, by reading your own Bibles, by sitting with fellow saints discussing Scripture to come under the influence of the Spirit. I'm almost done. But not just that. Because we all know and all have run into nasty, non-fruit-bearing, theological Bible thumpers. So, there's something about it that it's not merely, I know exactly what Paul says. There are numbers of persons over the last few centuries who were paid to write New Testament commentaries on particular books. PhDs in New Testament. Or PhDs in Old Testament. Or systematic theologians who were never born again and died and went to hell. So it's not merely like alcohol. Get enough of that. Short amount of time. You're going to feel the effect. Not necessarily with the Scripture. Depending on why you're going there. And whether you want someone who is not the Scripture though He authored the Scripture, the Holy Spirit, to work in you. If so, in all of this thinking of the things of the Spirit, the Scripture that He has authored, we do it in such a way that we pursue. Fill me though. Don't leave me with mere words in my head and let it wander now. Or be unaffected. I forget which old saint used the term, but you, you, in the midst of the Word, practice the presence of God. You prayerfully beat down His door like Jacob. I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm hard. I'm, I've sinned. My, my thoughts sinfully overwhelm me. Father, help me. Fill me. I can't do it. I need you from without to cause me to be more kind or gentle or caring, or forgiving today. Soften my heart. That's All that kind of stuff is where the things of the Spirit, called the Holy Scripture, that's what they're leading us to do and to pray. So you grab your mind, you fill it with God's Word, and you grab your heart, you grab your emotions, your deep feelings, and you have a promise. Draw near to God. Do it. Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. Really and truly. And you will feel the effect. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing and adoring and loving the Lord Jesus 
Christ. Because all of that filling was secured by every person for whom Christ died. And if you hear His call to come to Him, and He's asked you, you put your name there, teenager, middle age, or old, has He asked you, do you love me? And if you do, He has loved you from the foundation of the world and He has chosen you and He went to the cross just for you. As He did just for every other person He saves. Let's pray. Father, You are good. Your Word is precious. Lord Jesus, Your work of redemption of becoming a human being in the womb of Mary, your mother, to live in perfect, sinless human righteousness and to suffer and to die, not just bearing the physical torture, but bearing the turning away of your Father from you on the cross. But you have risen victoriously and you have sent the Holy Spirit and you have saved us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Don't let any of us not make it. In other words, oh, may we be true because you will lose none for whom you've died because the Father gave them to you. Oh, fill us day in and day out with your word, with your spirit, to the glory of your name in this holy gospel. Amen.